Well, howdy there, Brad fans. Thanks for tuning in, and we got a classic two Brad for you for you. Both Brads are here, and we're doing what we usually do when both Brads get together, and that is talk about diseases. It's a heavy, heavy disease episode, uh, this episode, and we start off with a short Ebola update um, with the Ebola situation in the Democratic Republic of Congo. We talked about malaria, some not-so-good signs of resistance in the malaria parasite, and a little more about coronavirus and where it came from, how it came from bats to uh, humans. Spoiler, via the lab. Just kidding. Doesn't look that way. No evidence for that yet. Um... And then we also threw in some space stuff, a little a little uh, chat about SpaceX and one of the lesser-known projects that they were up to, the big launch um, of Dragon, whatever it's called, got a lot of press, but we touched on uh, one of the other projects they're working on. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. It was great to be back in saddle with my good friend Brad. Uh, if you like what we're doing and want to get in the saddle, follow us on... Twitter or Instagram at Too Brad for You. Rate, subscribe, wherever you're getting your podcasts. Throw us some stars. Throw us a couple sentences. Let us know how we're doing. Throw a question in there if you have something that you want to talk about, or you want us to talk about, or if you want me to address it directly. Happy to do that. Our website, TooBradForYou.wordpress.com, as always, has all the links to the stuff, the the studies and the stories we talk about. And there's a contact form there, so you can get in touch with us there as well if you don't do the social media, which is probably good for your mental health. Anywho, thank you so much. Like I said, um, please do get in touch with us. Rate, subscribe, wherever you're getting your podcasts, and enjoy the episode. Whoa! Well, I, I'm going to say we're back, but I'm back because Flash, you've been riding this uh, wagon solo for a little while now. Man, I am glad to have you back. You don't know what it's like to have to do this by yourself. You don't know what it's like to listen to your own voice, you know, back in perpetuity. Have no one to uh, interrupt you. Have no one to correct you. So it's quite nice. In fact, you know, now that, <laughs> yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually pretty good. I don't know if the listeners would agree, but hey. hey. There well, you, you know, the listeners have been moaning at me saying, you know, is it really too Brad for you or is it just one Brad for you from here on in? So it's uh, it's nice to be back in the saddle, you know, foot in the stirrups and uh, mm-hmm. ready to ride both the shotgun and uh, whatever the non-shotgun lead role is, driver, I guess. I... Let's just call it Maverick. Maverick. Yeah, well, you know, as long as it's not, you know, as long as we're both Mavericks and none of us are Goose because we know that ends. Spoiler alert. We know what happened to yeah. Goose. I mean, really, let's think about it. You could be Maverick or Iceman. Both are alphas. Both are top pilots. That's true. Well, then, in, you know, in that case, You then, could be my wingman any day. Shit, Bullshit. You could be mine. Could be mine. Well, in that case, yeah. then I'm being Maverick, because he's obviously the cooler, despite the other one being called Iceman. So. Iceman is definitely way cooler. Well, okay, well. He didn't have to go through all the emotional turmoil. He was already at peak performance. But... Remember you that know, Maverick went through all that emotional turmoil, turmoil, and still saved the day. So, you know, ultimately, we, you know, 
the film is called Top Gun and it's about Maverick. It's not about Iceman, is it? He is literally just, you know, a patsy in the seat just to fill spaces and, you know, keep you happy. But, you know, not that I'm saying that's what you are, Flash. I'm just saying that's how the film works and that's kind of what you've been badged as. But anyway, enough of that. Welcome. It's good to be back. Yeah. Uh, you can be my wingman. Bullshit. You can be mine. <laughs> so, th- that said, I am going to be your wingman because you've got the first story of the day. So, um, load, a, load a missile in, set to lock, and uh, fire away. Here we go. Here we go. Missile lock. Two, the age-old too Brad for you topic. That's right. It is the Ebola I update. I it's coming. I'm still excited. The Ebola update, folks. Um, thankfully, not a lot to update. Although, just the other day, there was five new cases, I believe. So, in total, we're up to 79 cases and 33 deaths in this, the latest outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, If you remember from the last Ebola update, um, I think it was the last one that we did where it was like we had declared one outbreak finished. And then... And but yeah. simultaneously, there was another outbreak in the same country um, that started. Uh, and so the discussion last time was confirmation, more or less, that these two were distinct outbreaks, yeah. or at least at the time they believed they were distinct outbreaks because there was no epidemiological link. So if you've been listening to any of the other uh, podcasts, the solo podcast that I just did, I talked a lot about the contact tracing and stuff like this in terms of outbreaks and whatnot and how you would determine what an index case was. So like what would be the first case? Um, and that's what they did to, to determine that these were two separate outbreaks. They couldn't find any connection personal or travel or otherwise between these two spots. But they have since confirmed with genetic sequence analysis that uh, the new virus circulating in the Equator province in Western Democratic Republic of Congo is different from the one that infected more than 3,400 people in the eastern part of the country. Okay. So that was the last uh, outbreak. And it also found that this uh, virus is different um, or distinct from the previous one that was in the same region in 2018. And the investigation is still ongoing to determine the source of this latest outbreak, although it's likely that it originated from animals. Um, Not surprising, that's where these things uh, come from. And my God, is it not hard to start keeping track of all these different Ebola outbreaks? Well, and the fact that, yeah, different ones are breaking out with no link between them. I think that just shows that there's a reservoir in the animal population somewhere. somewhere. And that, that's got to be concerning, you know, especially, you know, okay, we have the vaccine now and, you know, I know that's still being rolled out and it's not, you know, being used widespread still. But um, I guess the good news is, as you said, we've not had that many cases. And I know when we, we talked about this last time, there was speculation that, you know, it because they didn't know where it had come from, they didn't know where patient zero was, whatever, it could be huge. So it's good news that it hasn't exploded. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea that it came from an animal source means that, if, if that is true, uh, that, yeah, you found the first patient. Right. And so that you don't have to, you don't have unaccounted spreaders out there 
spreading it around so you can kind of contain it hopefully and i mean it feels like i mean when was the last time we did that podcast it's got to be a couple months ago so the fact that the cases haven't gone up that much is a good sign um now yeah the fact that you're getting multiple you know sort of outbreaks that aren't linked to each other as you as you just said is concerning because it means that this thing is jumping from animals to humans more frequently right. um yeah. there's a number of there's been a number of uh papers released recently obviously as you know pandemics outbreaks emerging zoonotic diseases is such a hot topic doing now. a trump impression I mean, for a minute both with the voice and with the hands that you know folks can't see the hands but i got the hands going uh no i was kind of just saying that how it's in vogue even though yeah. you know we've been covering that here for years don't forget we've been the, we're the first maybe not the first you know what I well, mean. Well, the savers are modern um, media flash, so we can say whatever we like. We know this. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's correct. Yeah, fuck it. Uh, we have an explicit tag, too, so I can say <laughs> that as well. Um, 13 plus. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like uh, there has been a, there's been a number of papers that have come out recently investigating these topics. And there was one that I actually – I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but it just you know came into my head as in this discussion. And it was linking um, – like doing an analysis to really try and link land use change to infectious disease outbreaks. Right. And it's something that we've talked about on the show. And it's something that kind of gets tagged on to all of these articles that you might read in popular media or otherwise about uh, zoonotic, that is, diseases coming from animals to humans, outbreaks. There's always a climate change link. There's always this kind of, you know, as the climate changes, there's going to be more of these outbreaks and stuff like that. Um and this to me was one of the first that I saw that actually tried to like quantify some of these things. So deforestation, as you cut down the trees and have cities and people more close to wildlife, there's going to be more chances for these things to spread, to, to go over as you have your livestock closer to wildlife. Yeah. It can move to the livestock, move to the people. So I didn't get a chance, like I said, I wasn't planning on talking to this, so I didn't get a chance to go through that paper in depth, but basically it was like they were, you know, making the correlation between these things. So it's, you know, the Ebola situation is kind of an example of that. If this is, is indeed, uh, you know, directly from animals to humans, uh, it's still possible that they find some link that they didn't, you know, yeah. that hasn't been found yet, but anyway. So that's the Ebola update. A little, you know, it's good that it's not growing super, super fast, but um, the fact that it's a distinct strain or a distinct lineage of the virus is... Uh, a little bit worrying, yeah. A little bit worrying, yeah. Okay, well, let's go from uh, good news to bad news then. Let's, you know, let's take the sweetness out <laughs> in with the yang. Um, malaria. Um, we've not talked about malaria for a little while, actually, on, on the show, but... Um, Obviously, on our infectious disease podcast no, I, that we've been doing for years. Yeah. Thank you. Nice little plug there. But we have touched on it in the past. Um, and obviously, there's a lot of research going on to it, which we have touched on. So, uh, background on malaria obviously, it's uh, caused by a parasite, plasmodium, um, numerous different species of, of plasmodium that cause it. Some, some that do cause infections in humans and some that don't. Obviously, it's transmitted by mosquitoes. 
Um, it's thought to be one of the biggest causes of deaths in the world. Um, around about in terms of in terms of infectious disease, yeah. I believe it's still the largest uh, killer per year, every year yeah. with five hundred thousand deaths. Exactly. Although, hey, maybe maybe Corona catches up this year of the if certain countries it off just the, keep uh, letting her the rip. Top of the, uh, <laughs> the podium. So yeah, yeah. so around about four to five hundred thousand deaths per year. Around about ninety percent of those in Africa. So you know, although mm-hmm. it is seen in Southeast Asia and other parts of the world, you know, Africa is the South America. South America, uh, South Africa is the the big one. And the worrying news that was published um, late last week in Nature magazine is it um, there's been a drug resistant strain found in Rwanda. Um, mm-hmm. So. This strain's been known to be around for about the last 10 years, but only in Southeast Asia. Um, but now it's been found in Africa. So obviously the concern is, obviously it's in Africa. Now can it spread throughout Africa? So at the moment, um, from the genetic testing they've done, it's um, they think it's more through mutation rather than actually being deported there and you know moved from Southeast Asia to Africa, which is obviously worrying that suddenly, you know, the malaria parasites discover this ability to mutate. Um, and actually what it's resisted to is it's resisted to um, the primary frontline drug, which is, um, and I'm going to screw up the pronunciation here, but I will do my best, artemisinin, um, A-R-T-E-M-I-S-I-N-I-N, um, which has been the frontline drug for a number of years. Um, but resistance hasn't been anything new. Obviously, um, chloroquinine, you know, which is the precursor to hydroxychloroquinone, which is obviously mm-hmm. quite big in the news with uh, the COVID fame at the moment. Um, you know, so chloroquinine was actually discovered, and that's what you get in your gin and tonics, you know, the, the, one of the quinines, discovered in 1934, and it took about 16 to 20 years for resistance to develop to that drug. Um, but now for this uh, Artemis inine, um, this is the big frontline drug, and the fact that we now have resistance to that, it's being described as a, you know, a major threat to public health. Um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we now have this. So as we said, it's the first time in Africa. Um, the paper was published. Um, it's a collaboration between uh, the Institute Pasteur, the WHO, the WHO, not the band WHO, WHO, World Health Organization, <laughs> um, the Malaria Control Program within um, Africa, and then um, Cochin Hospital and Columbia University. So actually what they've been doing is taking blood samples from patients um, and over a short period of time, they tested uh, 257 patients, and about seven and a half percent of them um, showed the particular mutation to show resistance um, within this parasite. Mm-hmm. So, not a huge number, but obviously the resistance—it's only going to grow. Only going to grow, exactly that. Um, and I think the worrying thing for this is obviously there's a lot of research that's been going on to malaria in the last. 10, 15, 20 years, you know, particularly, you know, we've talked about the Gates Foundation before. This is one of those diseases that they've, you know, put on their hit list that they're going to eradicate and have vaccines for. Um, so the fact this has occurred, great that we spotted it, because maybe it wouldn't have even been mm-hmm. spotted with all the, the money that's there. But a little bit concerning that, you know, this potentially pushes the fight against malaria. It's a massive, you know, I've seen a couple of journalists comment on this story saying, you know, this is highly significant you know this is one of the biggest moments in malaria in the last 10 years um and not Mm -hmm. not in a good way yeah no for sure i remember in like undergraduate biology and even during my phd when you talk about um parasites and and drug resistance and these kind of studies to like 
the spread to attract the spread of resistance and stuff. The resistance um, mutation in Southeast Asia, that was what everyone talked about was like, it's there. Thankfully, Southeast Asia isn't as bad as Sub-Saharan Africa, but the worry is that it's going to spread. Like it's somehow going to get there. And people that, yeah, did talk about, you know, travel, right? Our our globalized, interconnected world is how these things, someone with that malaria strain would go from Asia to Africa and a mosquito would bite that person and then that mutation would be in circulation. But this is almost even worse because it's like... It's a natural mutation. Yeah. It's a natural mutation. So I would be interested. There's a couple of things that, that popped into my mind. I'd be interested to know um, how like how similar the, the mutation is. Like what is the... Is it the same mutation? And how did they determine that it's not imported from? So that to me says right away that there must be some kind of, it must be slightly different. So maybe it's it's producing the same effect, but it's different. Yeah, It's a different mutation genetically, right? Interesting. But yeah, also terrifying in the sense that, you know, here it comes. But I mean, this is not wholly... Uh, unhurt like un yeah it's not it's not un- unexpected of, that's what parasites you know, do yeah unexpected yeah. that's yeah that's the well and people have been just like people have been warning about viruses like coronavirus leaping into humans for the past 15 20 years but that will never been, happen flash will it yeah right that would never happen right um people have been talking about malaria uh, resistance and how that's like it's only a matter of time before a parasite or a virus or anything, you know, gets resistance to something that's attacking it, right? So, yeah, not great. Really not great. Hopefully, maybe it, it, it spurs like a, a burst of movement in the research and say, hey, look at how it evolved it. Maybe that gives you, like, a, like I said, if it is a different, you know, sort of genetic and then then mechanistic pathway into how it's getting around the drug maybe that provides some clue as to what the next drug could attack or something you know you never know um so that's kind of me just being very optimistic about the situation um the question now is will be will they be able to control the spread of that resistance mutation and I don't know how you're going to do that. That's um, the scientific stand you hear there of Flash considering yeah. <laughs> how he's going to do that. A bunch of scientists all just with, you know, hands in their forehead. <laughs> Shit. What are we going to do now? Um, yeah. My also, my, my concern a bit, maybe flippant off topic, whatever, is how long is it going to take now for all these, you know, a-holes that are already, well, oh, coronavirus isn't real, or it was created by uh, Bill Gates to, you know, chip us all and all this shit. When are they going to get wind of it and then be like, oh, see, no, there's Bill Gates. He he manipulated malaria, too, to fucking kill more African kids. It's like, it's just... You really have sorry, been jaded, haven't on... you, Flashback? <laughs> Hopefully not just by our podcast, but by uh, some of the uh, a little bit other you know lateral thinkers out there. Should we well, say lateral thinkers? That's a very generous term. That's a very generous. Hey, Flash, term. Some of them might be listeners to this show. And we, as we've already discovered, we can't afford to alienate any of our listeners because we just don't have that many of them. 
Well, I don't want to, and I wouldn't want to lose those people because hopefully they could come to a better understanding of how biology actually works, how diseases actually work here at this show. But yes, I have been a little jaded as it might show. Maybe I've been just been spending a bit too much time on the old Twitter machine. Uh, do probably you. shouldn't do Not it. in the heat. That'll uh, do it to you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But um, yeah, that is, you know, very, very concerning for people where malaria is prevalent and, uh, you know, for the world, because, you know, like we were talking about links to climate change and diseases and stuff. It's not just about zoonotic diseases coming from animals like bats and, and other things. If the range of the mosquito that carries malaria and dengue and Zika and all these other ones, if it gets, if the climate gets a lot nicer and this mosquito can move its range, extend its range, well, guess what it's bringing with it? Well, Drug resistant malaria. So, well, and you mentioned, you know, Zika has been quiet for a little while, hasn't it? But no, you're right. And I think there's, you know, I guess in a way, we always joke about the British weather. I'm fortunate to live in the UK where the weather hasn't been supported for a number of years for mosquitoes, but, and thus for the diseases that they, they, can that they bring. Yeah. Um, but I know on the veterinary side, there's been, you know, a lot of work done um, over the last few years. Um, Eric Morgan, who uh, is at Belfast now, was at Bristol, um, was a big proponent of this looking at climate change, whatever. And, and basically, you know, the climate in the UK has been ripe for mosquitoes to be established for around about the last 15, 20 years or so. They just haven't yeah. established themselves here yet. But, uh, you know, today it's, you know, 29, 30 degrees here. This seems to be the new normal in terms of our summer. You know, we're, we're getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. It's there. And I think I remember seeing a paper once that was talking about actually, well, the UK is okay because it's an island, you know. So as long as you, you know, you quarantine the food or, or shipments coming in, which we don't do, or you treat the shipments coming in, then you'll be okay. But actually, this paper was somewhere, well, actually, if the whole of Northern Europe gets warm enough, then the mosquitoes literally don't have to fly the distance. They'll just get carried on the wind over as well. So yeah. they were talking about, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the transmission in shipments of things, but also actually climate change will actually just, you know, go supersonic. You know, we can, they'll go top gun, shall we say, and uh, <laughs> and blow them here. So, yeah, you know, we, you know, I don't want to be alarmist. We don't have malaria and we don't have Zika and things here. But, you know, we're, I think we're going to see, as climate change happens, we're going to see these diseases move more and more and wider and wider around the globe. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's the case. And I mean, to your point of like, well, someone who's saying like, oh, well, we just got to, we're an island, so we can just quarantine these shipments or we can just, you know, do this. It never works. No. It never works. You can't, and this is why travel bans in terms of, you know, these viruses, the corona situation that we're talking about, it's like, yeah, it can buy you some time and stuff. But generally, when you put in a travel ban, that just pushes people underground. Yeah. And then you don't even know who's coming in, you yeah. know, then you, then you don't know who's coming yet. So it's, it's really, it's really impossible. Here's another side note. Um, I rewatched the movie Contagion. I don't know if you watched that one. Uh, and I kind of avoided watching the disease movies when the, when the, when the pandemic first started. Cause I was like, eh, yeah, I've seen them. Is this really what I want to be doing right now? Uh, but my lovely wife, Teresa, hadn't seen or, you know, had seen so long ago that she didn't remember. She hadn't seen Outbreak, the great 
90s action. That was Dustin Hoffman. Scientifically, thing, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's right. And Cuba Gooding Jr. Sorry. And um, uh, Donald Sutherland. Uh, and Morgan Freeman. Oh, wow. Star-studded cast. Yeah. Star-studded cast. Scientifically inaccurate. <laughs> um, When's that ever stopped a film but, flash? But great, you know, 90s action movies. If anybody knows me or has listened to this podcast, I'm a sucker for a 90s what, to be fair, you, you're, movie. You're looking fairly diehard here today. Yeah, I know. The 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 wife beater, yeah, yeah. it's hot. Yippee-ki-yay. Yeah, yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> <laughs> in editing, we'll just have to overlay that so we get it perfectly in tandem. Yeah. Um, great, great movie. Great movie. One of the reasons that I decided to do what I what I studied, you know, was because of Outbreak. It had such a contagion. Kind of I was struggling to see the link there, but okay. No, 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 no. Outbreak, but Contagion is actually a pretty good representation of how these things go. And as I was watching it, as me and Teresa were watching it, it's like all these phrases that are now commonplace: social distancing. Uh, you know, transmission, you know, all, all like all these things that are now baked into the, the current were in this movie that was made right. in like 2011 or 2015 or something like this. And it just like I was rewatching it with a newfound respect for the movie. I was like, you guys did a good job. You know, you did a great job. So if you want to people want to take a look at that contagion, it was Maybe it's not the most exciting movie and, you know, it got some buzz, I know, in the, in the scientific community when it came out because people were pretty fairly impressed with the accuracy of it. It's obviously not perfect, but even down to the level of like misinformation and, you know, public health agencies trying to get people to get on board with these things. And there's a great scene where they're trying to figure out like it's local public health officials and uh, someone from the CDC is telling them all this information. They're like, well, we can't say that that's going to cause a panic. What are we going to do? Like, we can't do that. How do we message this? So all these things, it was just, it was brilliant. And it just, the reason I bring it up is obviously because, well, maybe these things are going to be even more part of our psyche moving forward, you know, like with the, with what we were just talking about with climate change and things like this, maybe, that's a silver lining of the situation that we're in right now is that people get gain a new respect for these things and start to try and, you know, turn the tide against the factors that are going to increase them or whatever. Now, as we already mentioned, I'm very jaded by seeing all the people that are actively doing the opposite, but I'm still an optimistic person, Brad. I'm sorry for the tangent. No, no, not at all. Uh, tangents are always good. They uh, take some... Do you know what? I've, I've not actually seen the film and I, I should stick it on my viewing list to do it. You'll be impressed. Okay. No. I think you'll be impressed. Well, you've taken us on a tangent flash, but let's, let's stick within the tangent that was infectious disease and uh, research there. So we've done, we've done good news. We've done bad news. You've got the next story with infectious disease. Is this going to be good or bad? What's your view? Oh, man, I guess it could be both. Anyone that knows me knows I'm an ultimate fence sitter. I don't like to choose sides very often. I like to, you know, run hard down the middle. Yeah, it should um, really be Swiss rather than Canadian. <laughs> no. Okay. Don't like the Swiss. I'll take a hard <laughs> position on that. Don't care for it. Don't care for it. No. <laughs> Any Swiss listeners, I'm sorry. 
Your country is beautiful. Yeah. You just need to be a little more welcoming to outsiders. Um, well, always fine with me, Flash. I think you might find it's just you, but you know. Could be, could be. It's probably because they suck at hockey and they're tired of getting beat by uh, Team Canada. There we go. I knew there was going to be a hockey link in there somewhere. <laughs> no, so the next story is, and I mean, maybe people are tired of, of SARS-2 COVID news, but this one I thought was interesting, um, caught my eye. And unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of time to go through the nuts and bolts of it. So I'm going to do my best to kind of give the sort of... Um, you know, overhead view of, of what they found, but it pertains to the origin of SARS-2. And obviously I've talked about, we've talked about the lab leak hypothesis and all this stuff and how most of the scientific community is pretty, you know, con convinced that it didn't come from a lab. There's lots of reasons to believe that or to think that. Clearly, that could change if someone from that lab shows us evidence that they had it all along. But the the latest thing um, is that they've done through some genetic analysis of the SARS two genome. There's a there's reason to believe that this thing has actually been circulating in bats for decades. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that this actual strain, this SARS CoV two as we know it now has been in bats for a long time, um, which means that the it didn't use the intermediate host to get to us. So there was the idea that it's bats, something else, pangolins was the culprit that we had been looking at, um, and then humans. Now, obviously, again, new evidence could change this in an instant, but this is what one paper published in the Nature set of journals um, is is proposing so the difficulty with this um with doing these kind of a genetic analysis with uh coronavirus in particular is that um they tend to do uh what's called genetic recombination very frequently right. and so if you don't know the term genetic recombination basically uh if two pieces of dna come into contact with each other they can swap genes so this process happens in humans when you're born, when a, when a new baby is made, because the chromosomes, half of them come from the mother, half of them come from the father, they actually meet um, in the egg, in when sperm meets egg, they come together, and there's a process where they actually physically interact, and during this physical interaction, you can swap genes, like sections of one chromosome will fuse to another, and vice versa, and that's why you can have a different composition of genes uh, than your parents. So you'll get some from your parents or some from your mom, some from your dad, but you won't look, you won't get the same, it won't be identical yeah. to either of your parents, right? That's the process of recombination. This happens all the time in things like bacteria and viruses because they they're are like their DNA the is kind of, and, yeah. they're replicating all the time. They're in close contact with each other. And just like, you know, in general, they're single celled, in terms of bacteria or not even a cell in terms of virus. So their, their, their DNA is out there. It's mixing around and it's doing stuff. So recombination happens a lot. And for coronaviruses, particularly so. So this makes it then difficult to do these genetic analysis because when you're comparing the, uh, the different strains, not every section of the strain 
of the of the genome of each strain has evolved at the same rate right you know like it could have had this insert from another one which totally then you know bungs up the analysis if you're trying to look at it from a evolutionary perspective or a what we call a phylogenetic tree, you know, where it's like incrementally, how did one thing evolve to the next? If you just slap a gene in there, that's going to throw that whole analysis off. So what you need to do and what this paper was concerned about was finding regions of the genome, the SARS-2 genome that hadn't undergone recombination. And there's different ways that you would identify a region that has undergone recombination or not. Now, none of those methods are perfect, right. uh, and the authors mentioned this. And so what they did is they tried, they used like three or four different um, computational models, methods that you would do in this type of analysis, standard things. But they used a bunch of them to try and see, like, can we come to a consensus with this? So I thought that was a nice part of the study, too, is that there is no agreement really on, you know, has this area undergone recombination or not? Obviously, it's easier to tell in some places if you just see like a random section of a, of a you know, another organism or another strain of a virus just plunked in there and you've never seen it before. You get some clues right. that it's there. So there's clues as to what has and what hasn't undergone recombination. So they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to identify the regions of SARS that were evolving as like one entire piece. So like I said, without recombination. And then you compare that to the other known strains um, from bats and things like pangolins. Um, and this confirmed what they already kind of knew is that SARS-2 on the whole is mostly related to or most closely related to the RATG13 uh, strain of coronavirus, which is a bat strain. So in the previous studies where people were trying to look at the origin of uh, SARS-2, they were looking at the spike protein specifically. Obviously, you would do that because that's the protein that um, attaches to the human cell. Right. And so it was like, how do we, how did it evolve this ability to attach to the human cell? Um, and they looked at the what's called the RBD, the receptor binding domain. It's a portion of this protein. And this is where they found that this section of that protein was genetically more similar to coronavirus uh, in pangolins. So that's where the pangolin idea came in as the intermediate host. So there's two reasons um, sort of mechanic, uh, evolutionarily or there's two mechanisms as to how this might have happened. One is that SARS-2 got this ability, got this section of the spike protein by uh, evolving over time in pangolins. So it had been in pangolins for a while, you know, sort of evolved, and pangolins have a similar receptor uh, site to humans, and so that's how this thing happened. Now, that's unlikely because when you look at the rest of the genome of SARS-2, it's more closely related to the bat one right. than the pangolin one. So the second thing is that, well, maybe it was recombination. What we had just been talking about, this SARS-2 gets into pangolins and then this specific uh, binding domain portion gets plunked into SARS-2 from the pangolin version. Um, but there's no evidence, you know, based on these tests that we have or these clues that we have for recombination of the genes of the SARS-2 spike protein. So that 
leads to we don't know how that that got there. Um, so with this new analysis, what they're proposing and what they believe is possible is that the genes for the spike protein and, you know, this given coronavirus, SARS-2, the ability to, the ability to infect human cells was actually passed down from a common ancestor of the three strains we were just talking about, the pangolin strain, SARS-2, and RATG-13. So it's one. possible, yeah. which is the bat one. Um, so it's possible that they all have the same common ancestor, and that's where where this originated. So in order to try and find, like, tease that out, um, they wanted to try and find when did SARS-2 split from this common ancestor. This is would be an, an important question in terms of where it came from and would have implications on uh, what we should be doing to prevent other uh, coronavirus uh, outbreaks. So they looked at all the mutations they could find that, that weren't a result of recombination. You do that. And then with those mutations that you believe are not caused by recombination, if you know the estimated mutation rate of a virus, which again, you it's an estimation and there's not total agreement on what mutation rates are, but this is where you know they had their multiple analysis and stuff to try and account for this. But in theory, you can look at um, any you know, organisms, DNA over time, if you have samples that are time marked, uh, and get an idea of how often they, they, the nucleotides in the DNA sequence change, right? And that gives you a, a, a mutation rate. So if you look at the areas that haven't gone undergone recombination, you have this estimated mutation rate that you can then go back and see how long it would have taken for these mutations to accrue over time. Right. So you're looking at the three strains and then going backwards to say, well, how long would it have taken uh, until they, you know, by chance or probability would have been the same thing? Um, and so the lead off, uh, what do we have? Yeah. So when they do that, they went back and they found that it's possible that over a century ago, so over a hundred years ago, there was a single lineage or strain that gave rise to all three of these, the SARS-2, the other bat one, and the pangolin one. And the lead author of this paper also said that they, th she thinks, oh, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, actually, sorry. Um, they think. They think um, that it's possible that that original strain could even have infected humans so that the original strain already so that had was going to be my question actually when, when you said so is there a way that this actually has gone full circle and then that's why it just keeps perpetuating in that patient zero was actually human and then it went from us into bats and anglins and... yeah well i don't know if you could say i don't know if you could ever say that uh well, just did. but yeah i don't know if you could ever prove that <laughs> Um, basically their timeline goes that, uh, the pangolin version that we've been comparing this to, or that the spike protein part is related to, to diverge from the SARS-2 and other bat one first, then in the sixties and seventies that the lineage split into two, creating the, the two bat versions that we now have. And sometime between 
1980 and 2013, the closely related bat strain RATG13 lost the human receptor binding ability, but SARS didn't. And that would be a a plausible pathway as to how um, this this thing happened. And then it would also mean that SARS-2 likely came directly from a bat into a human. Um, And this is where, again, we would need uh, more studies to kind of tease this out because, and I wish I had more time to read this paper because they do acknowledge the fact that the SARS um, viruses that we know of in, or SARS-like viruses that we know of in bats do seem to be kind of geographically split amongst like bat populations. So how, you know, how, one species of bat would transmit it to another species of bat. Like they could be all harboring these similar viruses. Right. But I know that this is one of the criticisms is that people were like, well, these bats weren't even uh, active at the time uh, of the outbreak. And RATG is um, not that, you know, it's the most closely related one, but it comes from bats in a different geographic location. And those boundaries are largely kind of, maintained but so the authors suggest that we just need to do along that geographic gradient of where RATG is found and where SARS-2 was found sample bats in between that all the way and you might find these intermediate steps or you might find a place where they overlap that kind of thing which would again sort of give you then an indication of where that where how where and when those two viruses split there might be other ones that that fill in those gaps right um and then in reading this paper too i found it interesting that like because a a lot of people again with the lab leak thing were talking about well how did it get this uh how did it get this ace2 spike protein um receptor you know that seems interesting that it would just like be able to infect humans like right away and there's a lot of reasons why that could happen one being that uh it was in humans for a while, you know, and was passing around and we just didn't know about it. So maybe there's these unknown outbreaks somewhere in China where people got mildly ill or they didn't get ill, but the virus was in them yeah. further adapting to grab onto this protein and really get that tight bond. And of course there's other sites that are involved in this too, that we're not talking about, but that's where that could have happened. Um, but it's also possible like this paper said, and like a lot of the references that they cite in this paper is that a lot of coronaviruses have these ACE2 spike binding proteins. Like it's not, it's not a unique thing. It's not unusual. So they think that this original lineage probably had it uh, and so could infect humans um, and that the other RATG lost it. Um, But they cite a number of papers that talk about coronaviruses having these ACE2 receptors. So it kind of just goes like the good and bad of it, I guess, is that while it's a, a bit more evidence that it's not the the lab leak thing, which is good, um, it's a little bad in that it's like, holy shit, these things are, there's probably a lot more of them, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. which again, people have been saying for years, I looked at some of these papers citing ACE2 receptors and bat coronaviruses and they're, you know, some of them are, you know, five, six, seven years old. So it's, 
yeah, it's not a, it's not a new thing. Um, and it just kind of shows you how there's these, there is ways in which these things evolve. Uh, and it's great that we got the genome right away. That's another thing they mentioned in the paper right. is that our ability to get the genome of SARS-2 right away um, allows for this kind of analysis. Unfortunately, it wasn't quick enough that we could do something about it. But they also kind of mentioned that it's like, hey, like with all that we know about coronaviruses, we should have been in a way better position to detect this and, you know, do something about it right when we saw it when we saw it first happen and that's a bit on china but it's also a bit on the rest of the world too in that like you know this is why surveillance for these things um is so important because this analysis points to the fact that there's probably a bunch more of these viruses circulating around in bats and i guess the last good thing i would say is that if this thing has been circulating in bats for a hundred years it only happened now like once you know like it's and that's what they mentioned in the paper. I think the direct line from the paper is like some unfortunate person in 2019 got it. Or maybe it was an article that I was reading that was like reporting on the paper. But and that's the thing, you know, like if this thing has been in there for, you know, over a century, it's like kind of shows you that it just takes one, you know. But Well, and when you first started talking about this, and obviously we just come from the story, you know, with malaria and mutation resistance. So. I presume, obviously, from the technique that they've used, they can go back and look along the lineage to show it has been a progressive thing as opposed to, well, it's just a random mutation. This virus is done. It's made it able to jump from bats or pangolins into humans. Yeah. I mean, if you that's the idea, is that if you, look at the, if you look at the places that don't have recombination, that gives you a longer view into the past, right? Because they're more slowly changing uh, over time. Whereas recombination messes that whole thing up, but if right. you have a stretch of DNA, two 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 speed, you know, two strains or whatever, they're you know this much difference, and you know how often or how what the rate of accumulating new changes is, you can then reverse. You can go back and find out how how long it would right. have taken for them to be the same thing. That's the basic idea. Yeah. Maybe I should have explained it that way no, in, the, no, no, in the beginning. No, not at all. And but it's that's, only, that's it. Yeah, no, and it's only as you were talking, and it, I, you kind of answered the question, so I wasn't going to ask it, but I just thought actually for any listener out there that caught the you know the tail end of the last part of the story in malaria in this part, that was mm -hmm. my initial thought. So I just, um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It shows you, and like I said, like these, they did it in multiple ways to try and, you know, balance out, you know, we don't know for sure. A lot of these things, it can be subjective. At some point, you have to say, is this recombination? Is it not? And there's a bunch of criteria that you would use to, to determine that. So it seems like a robust analysis. I'm going to go back and, and read through it again. But honestly, like some of this genetic stuff is even, this genetic analysis stuff is even above my pay grade, which is zero. Um <laughs> Since I finished my PhD, but even in my PhD, I don't know if I was going this deep, especially in viruses. It's different right, creatures yeah. than uh, the worms and parasites that I studied. But I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really cool. And it kind of, to me, stuck out because, again, it gives you another possibility as to why it's not just lab leak. You know, so the, the evidence is accumulating more and more for the the natural, you know, quote natural pathway for this thing um which again is 
it seems un- improbable, right? Like that's the thing when you talk about these things with people that you know don't know genetics, don't know viruses, don't study that stuff. And I am I admit it, even someone who has studied it, it seems improbable. Like some guy just ran into a bat and a bat sneezed on him and he, you know, like <laughs> but it's you gotta think about how many times that happens in human history, how many times that happens in in the world, you know, and yeah. how many of these viruses are there. And it, it just becomes a numbers game and the probability just goes up and up and up and up as to what this could be. And this just shows looking at the genetics of the thing is that there's a probable, you know, there's a probable pathway that you can point that you to can that see. this thing yeah. had been in there for hundreds of years. And so, and I guess at some point so, it gets to a tipping point and there it is. Yeah. And, yeah. The right guy, the right bat, they lock eyes. The music starts playing. A bit of Barry White in the background. The That's rest right. History. That's right. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Maybe no. you know, if people are if people are interested in more, tweet at me. Tweet at the show. Use the contact form on the website. You know, all that stuff. Get in touch, and I can. I would be willing to even just go back and forth with people about this, or do another more in-depth thing on it because, well and, and we'll put the links out to the stories yeah, as well, yeah. obviously it'll as all always. be there so yeah cool um one more quick story i think you got one there uh-huh. sorry to interrupt your quick refresh one to be there but you know i'm i'm out of my refreshments and oh, no, actually i'm not so you can you can take it away while i refresh myself what is the next one? I thought the next one was uh, the next one is you. We're going oh, no, space, you're right. It we? is me. We are going to space. I take it all back. So, yeah, okay. Well, a change of tack then from uh, infectious disease to the cool world of physics and space, which obviously, as regular We know nothing as, about. Regular as well, no. We know nothing about, but we love it dearly. Um, it's only a short story, really, but um, caught my attention. So, so it was all over the news last week with the, the SpaceX and the Dragon capsule landing. So right. uh, you they know, sent two dudes up, they made it, and they came back. Yeah, they were up there for a you know, number of months. And the rocket the rocket that propelled them into space landed, right? Yeah, so it's totally reusable. So um, it's, you know, it, it's the first commercial transportation of humans to and from the International Space Station. So that mm-hmm. alone, you know, amazing achievement. It got obviously got rightfully, and this is what I love about the whole SpaceX thing is, I think we've become too complacent about space. You know, we got to the point where space shuttles were taking off and rockets were taking off and it wasn't even making the news. Yeah. Whereas at least with yeah, this yeah. thing, it's getting the news, it's getting obviously a lot of coverage on YouTube. I know um, myself and a lot of friends, especially with kids, um, are tuning in to watch these takeoffs and then the relanding of the rocket because it's, it's incredible I was surprised. I was surprised at how many people I knew watched the 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 launch of right. the, of the rocket like I I I was like holy shit I didn't think that people I didn't watch it and yeah. I didn't think that people were that into it and then I saw friends in WhatsApp groups posting the pictures being like hey yeah I like, like, what I, is yeah. this I'd set an alarm to make sure I watched it and stuff and then obviously yeah. the tangent to that not part of the story is then the whole Starlink satellite network that you know SpaceX mm-hmm. are putting up there so you know even even with the naked eye you can see a lot of these things on a on a clear night so you know I, I'd rec- I won't recommend apps, obviously, because we're not paid by them. But go and have a look on your your app store and download some apps that you know will tell you what's in the night sky. Or mm-hmm. um, Virtual Astro on Twitter is a good one to to follow. He'll tell you a lot when you can see passovers and stuff. But anyway, so obviously the the, the Dragon capsule relanding um, or come back to Earth 
got a lot of coverage. What didn't get as much coverage, and what I want to just flag today, is um, last week there was um, the next wave of prototypes that SpaceX are working on. Oh, they're Starships. Um, so we're not quite at USS Enterprise level just yet. Um, but the next generation Starship uh, vehicles, they're called, Basically, they're designing to be able to go to the moon, but also to go to Mars. That's the big, big prize. So they did an, a test earlier in May of um, the code name for it was SN4. SN4 didn't go very well. Uh, it was a static <laughs> test. Uh, it blew up on the landing pad or on the launch pad. <laughs> um, but SN5 uh, was tested last week. Now, SN5 was a step along that path, and it actually was a takeoff. So... Um, it reached an altitude of 150 meters and then it deployed its landing gear and then it touched down again. So the whole thing was only about 40 seconds long. Hmm. Um, but the test was for the technology. So the technology to get us there is, is a, it's called the Raptor engine. Um, and it's powered by liquid methane rather than liquid hydrogen, a lot of these and liquid oxygen. Um, and basically the plan is that, you know, within, within the next decade, in the next 10 years, SpaceX will put one of these on the moon. Um, and the pin that they have put in the ground or in the moon or in space is that by 2023, they actually have um, somebody that's paid to do a fly loop around the moon. So um, actually, it's a Japanese guy. He's a billionaire. By 2023? Uh, yeah. So Yusaku uh, Meizawa, he's um, a Japanese billionaire, made his money out of art and fashion. Um, and he's well, seems like a perfect guy to pilot a high. Well, he won't pilot. Yeah. <laughs> he won't pilot, but it basically he's paid to do a loop around the moon. It will last. Um, oh, he paid to be a passenger. He paid to be a passenger. He will be the first he's passenger. He's funding the thing. Um, I don't think they've disclosed how much he's paid, but it obviously has paid a big chunk towards SpaceX development costs. Um, but then I started digging into this Starship thing. I'm a you know I'm a Star Star Trek fan. I want you know I hear the word Starship. I want to see what it's like. So. Uh, so the test was in South Texas last week, as I said, reached altitude 150 meters. It deployed its landing legs and it touched down again. And in this prototype, it just used one engine. So one of these Raptor engines, but the actual Starship itself will use six engines, um, which potentially will give it the ability to carry up to 100 people. So a payload of around about 100 plus tons. Um, basically, you know, Elon Musk, the, you know, the CEO, uh, behind SpaceX is basically said, you know, he sees it as a way to transport and colonize the moon. He wants to see humans as multi-planetary, you know, species, yeah. not just tied yeah, into yeah. one. Um, for me, the interesting way is the way it scales up. So we've got this prototype with one engine. The plan is on the final one, we'll have six engines. But actually, we need to get it out of the Earth's atmosphere. And that's the big piece. Right. Um, so for that, you need super heavy is what they've uh, prototyped it. So it'll be a super heavy rocket to get you out of the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, that will have 31 of these Raptor engines to blast it out of the atmosphere. Um, but then there'll be separation, and then the Starship would carry on to the moon or to Mars, or wherever it's going to go, just with the six engines, because obviously it doesn't have to then make all the effort to escape Earth's gravitational pull and stuff. Um, but yeah, kind of amazing. What I really liked is, um, as I was researching this, Oh, some facts for Super Heavy. So Super Heavy will be 120 meters tall, nine meters in diameter. As I said, the ability to you know push out a payload of 100 tons. Um, 
I really recommend people to go and have a look at the SpaceX website. I had a look at it today when I was doing some research. Uh, there's a user guide on there for the Starship already, um, which sounds impressive. When, when you click on it, it's not you push button A to take off and push button B to land. Yeah. It does give you a lot about you know what they're trying to do and how they're doing it and you know some of the science behind what they're having to overcome to do. And, um, it is a little bit of a sales pitch. Obviously, you know they are looking for investors to try and go. Um, but I just found it fascinating that there's a user going out there already and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. We're almost at the end of 2020. You know, I know a lot of us want to see the back of this year fairly promptly. Uh, but yeah, by 2023, we're going to have a guy doing a loop around the moon. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. So, you know, a bit of a longer range pin, but let's keep an eye on that one and see how it goes. But I'll definitely yeah. do SpaceX a little bit more closely than I have been. So how is it? How is the the system to get out of the atmosphere different than the one that they're using now? It's just that it's a different engine because they the, the ship is going to be bigger. Yeah. And so they need more so they thrust. Need, yeah, exactly. So at the moment, like the Dragon capsules are only carrying a maximum of two, I think maybe three people and yeah. a reduced payload. But, you know, if we're talking about carrying 100 people yeah, um, yeah. or a vast amount of cargo, then it needs, you know, a hell of a lot of time to do that. A big boy. Yeah, be a big boy. Yeah, Very interesting. Um, did you see if it also will land the rocket that sends it out? Super will it also will be reusable as well? I believe. Yeah. 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 Nice. Nice. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, does the craft itself that will zip around between the moon and Mars and stuff like that? Does it look cool? Um, the pictures I've seen. You go onto the website and because the Tesla something. truck to me looked like shit i know some people like it but i did not like it um to be fair it just looks if you asked a child to draw a rocket that's okay. what it would draw it, it looks a little bit phallic yeah you know, i'm not gonna lie with some yeah, i'm not even sure if it's got fins on it i think it's got fins on there but it looks yeah. it looks like you said to a child here's some crowns draw me a rocket you know your traditional cigar yeah. shape or something yeah, yeah. Like that. i but, guess you well, know tried and tested yeah. it's worked for hundreds of years in science fiction so yeah, that's true. That's true. So would the idea too be that this thing could uh, land on the moon and then continue to Mars? Do we know that? Uh, no. So I, I think the plan would be, well, this one's going to go to the moon. You know, it's, it's not going to be a And then come back. And come back. This one's and destined then... for Mars. But yeah, who okay. knows? You know, I guess fuel would be the big thing. But Yeah. And then once it's in space, it's just rocket thrust and use yeah. the momentum it's got yeah yeah interesting hey cool i yeah. mean i dig it i dig it i know some people hate on elon musk and he's a weird dude and i disagree with his <laughs> stances on coronavirus issues but his space shit's cool uh, no exactly you've got to give him credit for that so um yeah watch watch this space oh say see what i've done there I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, people on Mars, interplanetary species, as far as we know, the first ones to do it. So hey, we well, claim then, that. Then let's watch the virus mutation from Martian DNA being inserted in. Jeez. I think we've got problems <laughs> now. Wait until that yeah. kicks off. You had to bring it to that. You had to bring it to that. Hey, you've got to feed the conspiracy theories somehow. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, hopefully we've given them enough fodder uh, to misinterpret and uh, misuse. Um, why don't you wrap it up for us then? 
Okay, well, um, so also we started talking about Top Gun to start, so, um, <laughs> you know, it would be unjust. We could do a together. Twitter poll to drive our engagement. Who's the <laughs> who's the Iceman? Who's the Maverick? No, we don't need to vote on that. We all know the answer. No, we don't. Ones. I don't want to know the answer. Um, but, you know, from that from that film, you know, how did, you know, how did it go the first time? I crashed and burned. How did it go the second time? Well, I'll let you know in the morning, but it's looking good so far. And I think, you know, it's been a little while since we've been back in the seat together. And like, <laughs> we, I don't think we've crashed and burned. So uh, let's see what it looks like in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. You heard it here first, listeners. Um, watch out. Viruses might be jumping from animals into humans and causing some serious shit to go down. So maybe <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, if only we could find a way to go back and put some money on that. Um, and there's actually, you know, tracking into the, the Star Trek, resistance is futile, or is it? Mm. Mm. Uh, that's the thing, is resistance going to be the death of all of us? Um, quite possibly. Not that I want to be alarmist and feed in more conspiracy theories. But um, Flash, it's always been a pleasure. If people want to get in touch with the show, um, you can do so very socially distanced. Uh, you can use social media um, to do that. So it's at 2 brad for you on Instagram and on Twitter for the show. It's at uh, Bradley W. Hayes on Twitter for myself. Flash, if people do want to uh, socially distance but message you. At B. Van Paradon. I'm always open to, you know, see the deluge of shit that's on social media. Uh, so if you want to throw some shit my way, do it. Well, please do. you got nothing better to do. Um, <laughs> It's been a blast, as always. Another rocket pun there, just as many as we can get in. Um, but just before we uh, we touch down, then uh, thank you, listeners. Thank you, Flash. Um, mm-hmm. And we won't leave it so long next time. And, and at the very least, we should try and record when we're together next month. I'm actually crossing the ocean to go and visit Flash and his lovely wife, Theresa. Fingers crossed. As long as the authorities deem it safe to let... Uh... A British hooligan into into the country, then you well, know. I could be the first wave of the invasion. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I will vouch for you at the border if it Thank comes you. to that. Thank you. Would be appreciated. <laughs> I, 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 we all need a character witness such as yourself, Flash. We all <laughs> yeah, that's right. Life if that was the case. I don't know if I'm the best character witness over here, but we'll hey, do. You're the only can. one I've got, so <laughs> I'll take it. All right. Um, yeah. Thank you to the listeners, all as always, for for tuning in. Yeah. Yeah. Be safe. Flash listeners, be safe. Follow whatever your health advisors and whatever saying. Keep your two meters, one meter. Wear your face masks. Use your napalm. Do whatever you need to do. Because um, we cannot afford to lose you. We cannot emphasize that. We can't afford to lose you. Uh, Flash, it's been a blast. Until next time, my friend. Until next time. Catch you later. Cheers. Well, to be fair, I just relay, it's a pub in Wimbledon that relay the actual quiz, and I just relay his quiz to the masses in the pub. Yeah. Just hosting. In effect, yeah. But that's what I do. You know, I piggyback on other people's success. So You're doing a pretty good job here. Hey, I'm like the parasite of this show. So, <laughs> And I've right, not man. yet mutated. All right.